This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And we're so glad to have Zupan's with us, especially at this time of year. Absolutely. Everything you need, whether it be for the holiday meal or for any meal, they've got everything for you. And a lot of this is coming here right in our area. Yeah, it's it's local. And of course, Zupan's, as far as all markets go, has yeah. been here from the get-go. They're, Over 40 they're years. a completely local company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got four locations that can help you, and off the top of my head, I can't tell them, but Chris can, because they're can, in front of you. I think I can do okay, it. Okay, all right. Without I, looking I, at the I list. I can do it without even looking. All right, okay. It's easy. Uh, yes, West Burnside, right, over mm-hmm. um, as you As you're just about hill. to head up in, into, the, into the canyon We've there. We've got one, Belmont, which yep. was the first Zupans I ever had the opportunity to go to a long right. time ago. And then we have one in Lake Oswego. Yep. That used to be where Wiser's was. Mm-hmm. So I never, when I lived in Lake Oswego, I never got the benefit of living near a Zupan. Right. So I go back there once in a while. And then the last one is my is the is the one I shop at, which is Macadam. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of them are fantastic. The nice thing about it is you can go in there and with with a general idea of what you want, but you see a lot of things that are irresistible on the way. Yeah. And, and oftentimes they have they have their professionals there to kind of give you su- some suggestions or certain pairings for different kind of foods. Right. And they have prepared foods too. So I'll yeah. go in there and pick up something for dinner and buzz it out to Manzanita yeah. and have a couple of days worth of dinners too. There we go. So uh, you can uh, get all those locations online, zoopans.com. I like to say that's their fifth location, Chris. Yes. Well, they'll pick that up. You're, you're, you want to get into that marketing department badly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Zupan's Markets, eat well, put taste first, love your food. All right, Chris, I think finally, after all the times where I have said this is a very special episode of Right at the Fork, I can finally deliver on that promise. Does that mean that you hadn't delivered before? Well, I think I had, but I think there's special meaning in the fact this is episode 100 of Right at the Fork. 100. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that does not even include the special sound bites and the Gary the Foodie and some of the special releases. No, this is the 100th interview, interview that we've done. Yeah. Which is a lot of people when you think about it. I wonder how many people are actually in the Portland food world, what that population is. Right. And what percentage we've covered so far. So we, we need to get to dishwashers. and We, we may need to, you know, 20 years down the road, right at the fork, <laughs> season 20. Now, I'm thinking that we need to do repeats of guests that we've already had on because sometimes 45 minutes, you can only cover so much. Yeah. Well, and we're going to find that out in today's episode. In fact, we acknowledge it at the end of this episode saying we just barely scratched the surface. I'm already on it. We're going to January, I hope. January, February, early February, let's do the second part or another interview with David Machado. Yeah. Of David Machado restaurants. But uh, I, I do want to say, Chris, because you're really good at this and I'm probably horrible at it, but congratulations. A hundred episodes. We're approaching the end of the third year of Right at the Fork. Congratulate yourself. You've been, you've been, been sitting in that I've chair been, yeah. for all but one. No, that's true. I was, for a good part of it, I was uh, a hired hand. But uh, so congratulations to you, Heather Heather uh, Jones, as well, was the uh, 
one of the at the forefront of this thing as well. So yeah, this is just awesome. You, thank you to Heather and thank you to listeners. Yeah. And sponsors. Right. We wouldn't be around. Well, we there's a lot that takes. We to would put be, this but together. we wouldn't be as happy <laughs> getting <laughs> together and, and doing this. Listeners and sponsors, and you know, we get a lot of positive feedback out there. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not fishing for negative feedback, but it's nice to get feedback either on iTunes or when we see people. It's great to to. We did get some feedback lately. They were talking too much on these intros, right? So, so maybe that's uh, maybe that's a good part for us to segue into introducing today's guest. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> so David Machado um, is one of the pioneers of the Portland food world. Um, if you know your Portland food history, yeah, and there are actually a few good books with which to reference it. Um, but David was instrumental. I mean, he has run the Heathman. Mm-hmm. He's run Pazzo which we talk about a little bit. That is where Vitaly Paley had right. his first job in Portland. Yeah. And David talks about it. Um, he's uh, he's at Loro Kitchen. He's Vindaloo. Yeah. Great restaurants in Portland. And now he's running Nel Centro mm-hmm. and, um, and also Altabira Lounge right. over on the east side. Which you've been raving about. I, the, had, I that, had my first meal there yeah, last week. That brought, and I, and I loved brought. it. And the view's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Chef Luis is great. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. And then right next door, a mm-hmm. couple of times when I've been with you on Kink, which, yeah. by the way, let's acknowledge what you do uh, I do, I for do. 95% of your time. And a little morning, morning show A little morning show yeah. on Kink.fm, right. that's yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a couple of times when I've been with you, I've gone over to Nell Centro and had breakfast and yeah. then come over to record the podcast. It's so, conveniently located if you're in this area. And I did not know David before this. I had run into him once mm-hmm. and just said hello, yeah. uh, a little uh, introduction, and that was years ago. And so I like when we sit down with guests we don't know and just it, there's a there's some good chemistry. There's some good chemistry, and there's a perspective that we often don't get from people who are kind of at the beginning phases of their restaurant stories. Right. Where here's a guy who you just named off a, a bunch of them has been through a whole lot and has moved on to different things for various reasons. And that's why we want to have him back again so we can really dig deeper into some of the issues. We didn't really talk about much about today's restaurant issues, mm-hmm. running a restaurant. Talked a little bit about, you'll hear, talk about running a restaurant in a hotel and how that differs from a smaller operation. Um, great interview and number 100. I, I, when we started this out, yeah. We didn't plan on getting to no. number 100. No. We just planned on seeing where it would go. Should have brought in some bubbly. Yes. Of course, that's not allowed in the studio, so I'm glad we didn't. Well, we have to do remote then. Remote there we go. bubbly. We certainly have a lot of venues we can. Sure. We, we, we have opportunities to, to drink some bubbly or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, thank you, listeners, for putting up with us and enjoying. We hope, if you're still listening, we assume you're not gluttons for punishment and, uh, and uh, will be with us hopefully to 200. Yeah, there we go. Right at the Fork is supported by Upserve. Upserve is the cloud-based restaurant management system serving up everything you need to know to run a smoother operation and exceed guest expectations. It's your restaurant. Run it like you mean it with Upserve. Visit Upserve.com to request a demo today. Tell them you are a Right at the Fork listener and get special pricing. The Chew Dining Club. Chew Dining Club gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. 
check in at participating establishments, and you'll get rewards you want, like free pizzas, beverages, and extended happy hour deals, plus exclusive information and invites to fun food events. Chew. Find it on iTunes or Google Play. Leanne Bach of M Realty. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you? Find Leanne at LeanneBach.com. L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. And by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and craft beer. Emphasizing locally sourced items. Zupan's has been inspiring food lovers and local chefs for over 40 years with the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southeast Belmont, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Zupan's Markets. Love your food. Thank you for coming in. You know, you, I think you're the closest restaurant. We are. We're, to the we're studio. We, we are the closest kitchen and liquor license, I think, to the studio. Yes, because... Yeah. I don't think I needed a liquor license, but a few times when I've been here with you, Court, in the right. morning on Kink, and I've wanted, I have about a couple of hours. Yeah. And I've jumped over to get some oatmeal, which doesn't last me a couple of hours. <laughs> it should. It's good oatmeal. It's good oatmeal. <laughs> it's good oatmeal. What do you do with that oatmeal? It's, it's really good oatmeal. We actually. try to make just enough. <laughs> no, I, I think that's that's key because yeah. when 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 stuff like that is done in like large vats, yes, the mm-hmm. quality goes way 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 down. It becomes down. it becomes the lunchroom oatmeal mm-hmm. that we all grew up with when you had when you had to go to school and eat lunch It'll or sp- breakfast. The spoon will stand up. So speaking of going to the lunchroom, yeah, when you have to go to school and eat lunch, where did you go to school and eat lunch? Uh, what kind of school? Uh, well, let's go back to elementary school, like maybe when, you know. St. Mary's Cathedral School, Fall River, Massachusetts. Oh, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Oh. Catholic school, grammar school, Catholic school, high school, public college. Public college. Yeah. What school? What college? University of Massachusetts. Oh, UMass. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Dr. J. Dr. J. He was there the year before I got there. That'll, really? That'll, that'll age me, yeah. It does age you. Yeah. I actually thought you were younger than I am, but I think you're you're uh, older. I'm older than I look, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> here's, um, I have a little Dr. J story I yeah. have to share. Okay. So when I was in sixth grade, which is how it yes, how it ages it, it gives us some relative age uh-huh. reference. Um, I went to basketball camp. Uh-huh. Now I was a short guy, but yeah, I, yeah. I was good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could shoot like yeah. crazy. So I went to Larry Siegfried, which you sure, would know, sure. Larry Siegfried Celtics. Basketball yeah. School. And um, then there was a, a morning where uh-huh. it was going to be, we were going to learn layups. It yeah. was layup camp. Who showed up? And so <laughs> we were told that, that the whoever it was, I think it was Cassie Russell, yeah, which sure. for me as a Nick fan yeah. was big, Absolutely. couldn't make it, but that they had someone that was probably just as good. Uh-huh. And all of us heard his name and we're like, oh. Who is this? Never heard of this guy from UMass. Yeah. It was Dr. J. Was Dr. J. I got four hours with Dr. <laughs> J learning layups, and I was comp- and we were all complaining. That's right. very typical. You know me well enough, Court, to know that's typical of my personality. Yeah, um, a little, little bigger career than Cassie Russell, ultimately. I think a little bigger career than most yeah. anyone at that time, right? So you yeah. could argue that he was the best player of that. Where, what town was Larry Siegfried's camp? It was in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. And I actually, um, I was from Connecticut. Yeah. And I went up there, and I came back after a week with kind of a Boston accent. People were making fun of me. It took about a week for it to go away. 
So you don't have one. I don't hear uh, it. I had I had a very very heavy one. Yeah, but I've been gone for forty. I've been gone for forty years. Okay, from Massachusetts. And then you went to Cal- California. Went to San Francisco. Went to the went to the California Culinary Academy. Was their first? Is it still there? Class. I've never heard of it. Uh, it CCA. Was, CCA. Major West Coast cooking <laughs> school. Institution. We, well, that's why. Mm. That's why it's so major. I've I'll never to, heard of it. I'll have to look that up. It's still there. We we in say in the day we were a, a stronger school than CIA, but it was it was in a glor- it was a glorious period of time. Yeah, yeah. it was it was, was a short lived glory. No, no, we went went for many years. Uh, they had a staff of all European chefs, young chefs who moved to America, and their first thing was to teach at that school. So it was. Uh, it was pretty good. So, what drove you out there? What, what, what in you? What freedom? <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't make you want to cook necessarily. Uh, divorce. You know, this life makes many changes, and you don't know why. Yeah. Why? I I know. Yeah. Mm. So that was just to go out there for freedom and to self for self expression, like everyone who mm-hmm. moves to California. And then the cooking thing came based upon need. It was just you know, need need. Things. A lot of chefs say that's about what they know they can do. I started as a bartender, and I went phased into cooking because a, a woman I was tending bar with said her husband was a chef, and he'd be happy to hire me as a prep cook, and that's how it began. Wow. Yep. And so uh, how long after you were prepping mm, did prepping, you decide you wanted to go to CCA? Uh, one year. That's all it took. Yeah. The school uh, was in an old uh, building downtown San Francisco, and somehow they put the money together to build a state-of-the-art school. So. I was lucky enough to be the first class to enter that school. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. It was in, you know, that's in the days when Jeremiah Tower had stars and Wolfgang Puck had Postrio and Joyce Goldstein had Square One. It was a very, you know, heady food time uh, in San Francisco in those days. So being in cooking school at that time was, was great because uh, there were so many restaurants out there. But, um, yeah, that was a long time ago. A couple of years. Couple of so, years. um can you, can you, does it relate to where Portland is now, the San Francisco cooking scene then? Because it was just starting to brew then, I would imagine. I mean, yeah, it, it's, I, I was young, so I wasn't really following it, but I mean, I didn't know anything. There was the Galloping Gourmet growing <laughs> up. <laughs> Graham Kerr, yeah. I'm terrible with names now, but yeah, stupid Graham things Kerr. like that can come to me. And, and then there was Emeril, right? Uh, he as came far la- as, later. As far yeah. as lay people oh, understanding yeah. Yeah. cooking, and then and then Wolfgang Puck. So yeah, I think it all it kind of starts in Berkeley. It starts in the East Bay with with Chef Anise, and um, and then it moves across the bay with Jeremiah. He had a restaurant in Berkeley called uh, uh, God, I can't even remember the name of it. But um, and then he opened Stars, and I think a lot of people. Um, Moved to the moved to the Bay Area to be in the food business because of, of that energy and creativity. I think the food movement that we have right now in the United States is based upon people traveling to Europe, specifically Italy and and France, uh, educated people. That's and, why it's and maybe Spain, perhaps in Spain later on. But I think in the beginning it was France, then yeah, it, it became France. Italy, and just bringing back uh, uh, techniques and and values that we lacked in the United States because we were more Influenced by uh, agribusiness and industrial uh, food in, in Madison Avenue and what we should buy um, and what we should consume. So I think those people that return, like Alice Waters was one who went to France and 
stayed there for months and came back and said, you know, this is lettuce. This is a salad. What we eat is not a salad. This is not lettuce. And this is a vinaigrette. And what we eat is not a vinaigrette. I think those were the beginning of, of the changes that we still see to this day. Still, and especially in a market like Portland, we're definitely still expanding those values currently. Now, when you think about places like San Francisco, you have to start thinking about real estate and what that means and the ability to go into the food business to get a, a location and be able to make a living from it. And I think, you know, that's why we still expand because those opportunities are still available to us, not so much in the Bay Area. We sh- this is when we should be putting my cousin on the line who's got a food business down there. Uh, right. It's been a little challenging, well, but he's doing well. You know, there I I read this. This is a really scary, freaky thing I'm going to tell you about. I read about in S- Santa Clara or, no, Palo Alto, about one of the high-tech firms, which I will not mention who they are, actually rented restaurant space in downtown Palo Alto and made it a restaurant for their company. But when you walk up to it, it seems like a restaurant that you could go in and eat, but you can't. It's a private restaurant. So the whole idea that a major company, even though it's one we like and maybe use in our lives, mm-hmm. could take public, seemingly public space and convert it to private space and, and say, this is for us, it's not for you, in order to give their employees a more authentic experience, that's a scary thing. Mm. How, how was it? Public. I mean, wh- I mean, how do they just take over public space? They just re- lease the restaurant. Oh, they, they lease. Yeah, they lease oh, one they and gone out of business, and then they operate there. But it's for their employees, and just the concept. Uh, the biggest town. Ta- we don't. We haven't seen it as much in Portland, but the biggest talent drain going on now in the Bay Area is chefs and sous chefs defecting to the social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, Google, to be their chefs to run their restaurants, to run their cafeterias. Mm. Uh, that means that they can work Monday through Friday day. Don't have to work. Do you watch? Do you watch Silicon Valley? No, I've never had. You, you need to watch Silicon Valley because this this plays right into that whole idea of it's no longer a workplace. It's a it's a another you know it's your, yeah it's your lifestyle. It's your lifestyle. Yeah. Well, so, it's also how they how they compete for excellent talent. Right. Too. I mean, that's one draw. It, no, they're 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 draining out the talent that would be in an independent restaurant, right? Putting it in a corporate I'm setting. Talking yeah. about different talent. Yeah, they're, sure. They're, they're, whoever that might be in Palo Alto, I can't can't imagine. Yeah. Couldn't who would imagine. Be, but yeah. but they are using it because I worked in an ad agency in 1985 mm-hmm. in Greenwich, Connecticut, that had that had a catered breakfast every day. Sure. And and it was a draw to get the people out of New York Absolutely. to that agency, Absolutely. and that that continued for a few years until. So this is similar. They're they're doing this. The these chefs and and whomever are going into this, they're yeah. they're able to do what they probably want to do, but they don't have the risk of, of failing as a restaurateur, right? I think the income is more stable yeah. and at a higher level, and I think more more importantly, the schedule allows them to have a more normal life, right? And not end up becoming. Uh, compromised as many people in the restaurant business are over time because of working till midnight or two in the morning. Yeah. Well, also let's face it. I'm sure you get you see some of this mm-hmm. in this town. There are a lot of restaurants that are really making money and surviving because the Nikes of the world are here and doing a lot of private events. And so that's a step in that direction. You you don't rely on them fully, but you no. you took that all away and you didn't have your private events well, that would be tough right people don't i mean the point you make is a very good one people don't realize what 
compromises the mix of revenue for a restaurant. We think it's you deciding to go out to dinner with your friends. That's just part of the mix. Uh, in a city like San Francisco, twice the amount of people who actually live there are dining there because they're tourists. They're in hotels. A million people stay in San Francisco every night and go to a restaurant because they don't live there. A million? A million there people. Every night? 800,000 people live there. Another million come in. So just, and this is a great topic. What is that number in Portland? You must know because you, uh, you have restaurants in two hotels. We're not. We're not a big convention city, and we're not that big of a hotel. So city. I'm just trying to get, is it in uh, the we, 10, we, You know, 600,000 people live here maybe any given night. In terms of tourism and conventions, I'd be hard-pressed to say maybe another ten or 20,000 people. Yeah, so it's minute. It's a so small we're not, percentage so, of San Francisco. Yeah. No, we're not relying on that out-of-town, out-of-state, out-of-country. We're not an international city either. I mean, we're not a city like San Francisco. I was just in Washington, D.C., which is a international city. I was in Boston, too, last week, and there is much more tourism and much more presence of people from outside the area. So, um, yeah, there's a, there, in, the, in the private events that you refer to, you know, the, the major private event, Booker has been for years the pharmaceuticals. That is, <laughs> that's what they do. They, that's they that's book, interesting. They book private events for doctors to come and have dinner and drink fine wines and and take a look at their products. And they're still doing that? I had thought, it's, I, you know, I haven't been following it, but I thought there less, were some further regulations on that kind of schmoozing. You can still do the dinner. I don't know if you can give the gifts out during the dinner, but you right. can still do the dinner. Well, dinner's a gift. Yeah. But so interesting to move in this direction on this topic because you opened two restaurants to get in the way of some tourism. Um, not necessarily that was, the, I don't know if that was the reason I wanted to ask no, you that. I, but you had two wonderful restaurants, or you had a few. Yeah. But the current restaurants, I mean, one, Nel Centro up the street, ends up being really based on the arts. It's It's a... It's a theater, theater-driven restaurant and a business restaurant, and then Altavera is really driven by Moda Center, Blazers, and Convention Center, because the that Lloyd District just those are the only two generators of activity really in the, in that district right now. So we're kind of we're based. I mean, we're always based on let's go out to eat. That's simple. That's we're going to have dinner, but you ha- you need other reasons why you need other reasons to fill a restaurant. So what was the, I know you had experience mm-hmm. uh, in hotels. Yeah, I, I, I opened up Pazzo in the Vintage Plaza in 1991. 1991. So did you have anything to do with the hiring of a, a Mr. Paley there? Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was my lunch grill guy for a while. Lunch grill guy. Yeah, lunch grill Vitaly. guy. And he said that he was going <laughs> to open a restaurant. He was going to buy a restaurant that was closing up on, in Northwest on 21st. And I said, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. This, it's better to have a job in the food business. Don't, don't get into a restaurant and be an owner. And he said, no, we're going to do it. And he did it. And, and, and he's been incredibly successful since then. Wasn't that his, that his objective when he moved to Portland anyway? I mean, he, it's not like he came here and said, oh, this is what we should do. That's uh, what he wanted to do, as I understand it. I'm not so certain that that was when he actually moved here. But he, he, he only did the Pazzo gig for maybe six months. So Pazzo... Uh, if you do, if one does any research or yeah. a little bit of reading, is one of the cogs in the Portland food world, as is the Heathman. Both mm-hmm. places you spent, t- both places yeah. you were you were a key guy. Yeah, actually, you were. Um, were you 
It wasn't there. Was it there that you were vice president of restaurants? Yeah, they had I fun. love that title. Yes, and I loved it too. <laughs> <laughs> and the income that goes with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was uh, that was that was a company owned by the Stevenson family, so they had five restaurants at the time. Who are the St- who's the Stevenson family? They're a family from White Salmon, a lumber family. The two sons bought the Heathman Hotel in 1987 and remodeled it and made it what it what we know it to be today. Mm-hmm. And since that hotel has been sold several times, it was recently sold about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, as was the Modera that I'm located in. That hotel was sold. Oh, that was sold recently, too. Yeah. So it was the Hotel 50. So there have been a, there's been all a the lot ho- of transactions. All the hotels there. are for sale. The, the hotels are being purchased by real estate investment trusts. These are usually back east uh, money equity companies that look for real estate. And hotels are one of the ones they really like. So, yeah, I mean, the, the hotel business is for sale. It has been. We're, we're going to after the recession and the downturn. The a lot of the hotels really struggled, and when they were offered prices to get out, they took it. Took the money. We had a conversation the other day, uh, Chris, with one of the chefs, one of the great chefs that we have come here into the studio, and he was talking about this idea of changing the software he uses to uh, input inventory and do bill tickets and all that stuff. And it got me thinking about like. For a lot of restaurants that have been using the same systems for a lot of years or or don't have one or don't even have one. Right. There are, there are places still out there where everything's kind of handwritten. It's like old school. What a great thing it would be to have Upserve, which is the industry's largest and most comprehensive cloud-based restaurant management system. Yeah. And there's a lot of data out there. So Upserve's analytics and point of sale solutions help restaurants run a smoother operation. That's right. The great thing about Upserve is help you know which menu items are driving repeat business. You can also use it to help measure staff performance. I know a lot of people haven't even thought about like the, the system they are for inventory and for the menu. It could also help them with their staff. Right. And I would imagine, I don't own a restaurant, that there are a lot of restaurants out there piecemealing this software that does this together yeah. and this. This is everything in one spot with Upserve. There are actually 8,000 restaurants across the country already using Upserve services. And again, it is cloud-based, so you can be away from the restaurant and still be checking in to see how things are going. Here's a great thing. If you go to rightatthefork.com, you can click on the Upserve logo or just head straight to it, upserve.com slash rightatthefork, and you can request a demo today. There's even a video there that will explain it all. Right, and they'll have a special offer for you because you're coming from Portland and you're our listeners. That's right. So head to rightatthefork.com, click on the Upserve logo or upserve.com slash rightatthefork. So it's, it's been an interesting time in hotel restaurants here because we have, you made the move mm-hmm. from, and Laura Kitchen was one of my yeah. first loves in the oh, Portland great. food scene. Thank you. And was sorry to hear that that was closing, yeah. but there was a good reason. Yeah. And then Vindaloo was yeah, right fantastic street, as yeah. well. So those are those are restaurants everybody, I think, looked at as successes. and then they successes. Just, then they just shut down and not just. There yeah, was no, reasons they, for it. Yeah. But they didn't shut down. They were. They did fine. They there were buyers for them, and I think you know, <clears throat> it's better when you have a buyer for a restaurant in a particular day to make that uh, make that sale. If you're going to, I had come downtown and realized that the size and scope of Melchentra was was bigger than I anticipated, and uh, you know, I had started downtown hotels, and then I went East Side Independent, right, and then came back downtown again. Um, and so that's, and then went back to the east side to do the recent one. 
Um, well, that's not the same East Side where Laura and Vinda. No, it's a no, different, it's a different deal. But I guess the question I was going to ask you was, um, is well, it's, I was saying there's a yeah. it's a big time in hotel restaurants because as you you mentioned, the Heathman was sold. Yeah, and, and Vitali's yeah. in there now, um, and we just we have we just had Dougie Adams on mm-hmm. on the podcast, and he's opening one next year. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the draw? What we're what you're seeing is the final admission by the hotel industry and hoteliers and hotel management companies that they can't own and operate restaurants. They can no longer have a loss leader within their building. So they want it off of their uh, profit and loss statement. They want it gone. But at the same time, the single greatest source of marketing for, for occupancy rate that they need comes from a destination restaurant, one that people agree it's a good restaurant, it's busy, it's sexy, we like it, and locals eat there. So this has finally come together as a deal that's available to chefs in the last, let's say, five, six, seven years that wasn't available before. Most of the hoteliers looked at it as, we'll do it ourselves, and we'll have it as a loss leader, or we'll lease it out and look at it as a profit center, meaning we need you to pay your rent, we need you to pay all your expenses. The new model is, we want you to come in and do your thing and we're going to help you with that. We're going to help you with the startup costs. We're going to help you with the build out and we're going to help you with some preferential uh, pricing to make sure you're successful and you don't go away. So they, I guess, you know, to simplify that part of the industry's kind of learned that this is a better way to go forward. And does that preferential pricing Stick, or is that to just to get you up and running? And then at some point, uh, you're, you're you'll eventually get to market rate, but it could take years for that to happen. Yeah, and you need a good accountant. Uh, no, it's all <laughs> it's all above it's all above board. It's no, all, I yeah. know, but you can show different profits and losses. I would imagine. Uh, no, not anymore. No, okay. Every, everything comes through the point of sale system. We're not, oh, we're right. It's we're not pretty... a ca- we're not a cash business anymore. Those days are gone. Well, I didn't hmm. I didn't reference that, but I just meant there's certain tax shelters and so yeah. forth that can be realized that I would imagine I, you know, I have tiny businesses and never, ha- yeah. never have that opportunity. I just hear about the opportunity. Every landlord that, <laughs> every landlord that has a hotel has the right to take a look at your books and audit them. So yeah. And since it's coming through the highly sophisticated modern point of sale system, it's all, everything's rung in. Yep. Do you, are you as, um, are you as, uh, endeared to your restaurants in a hotel as you were when you had the smaller Laura kitchen and it was oh, yours yeah. and now it's yeah uh, yeah it's just, it's it's it never changes going go showing up for work because you're standing in a dining room it's it's another dining room it's a little bigger the hotel ones the kitchens are a little bigger they have some private rooms it's a little different I mean the Laurel Vindaloo is those models for me was that's that's a family business that's me, and it's a neighborhood restaurant, it's a neighborhood so you're relying right. on locals. It's a real local thing. You're not doing that as much any longer. You're still relying. I mean, the local business is the majority of any restaurant business. The, I think there's a misconception. Maybe we could set it straight today for the historical record on this podcast. Oh, so, yeah. Well, let's call up Michael <laughs> Russell and see if he's listening. Yeah. Well, hopefully he will. There's a misconception about this thing called the hotel restaurant because uh, if 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 you ask somebody to define it, let's say a food critic, for instance, to define it, I don't think they can. Uh, if you're saying that you were in a, a Hyatt or a Marriott in 1975 and you had dinner, I think we know what that meant. 
But if you went to Nel Centro or the Imperial or now the Heathman, uh, what what are you saying it is? It's it's a restaurant that leases space inside of a hotel. It's not doing things that the hotel manager or hotel owner wants you to do or has makes you do or has there's no but there's no executive that comes in and said you need to buy your chickens for a dollar less or the typical margin things aren't, aren't in play anymore you're just renting space in a hotel so i think people kick that term around and still use it as a pejorative and and i see it in the press sometimes for a hotel restaurant it's pretty good it's just a restaurant it's the same kitchen and the same food products that are coming in so maybe we can kill that term. Maybe maybe today's podcast will do that. I nothing more we want to do than kill things, right? <laughs> right. Or, um, but it it's not something new. I mean, as you said, Pazzo was a big part yeah. of the Portland food world, yeah. and the Heathman was. Totally. And I'm sure there are others that I'm not aware of. I know the Driftwood's been around for a while. Um, so it's not something new, but yeah, it gets that little it gets that adjective in front of it, as if it was. I mean, listen, I know. You know, we know all the brands of different hotels, Hilton, Marriott. There, there are many brands. They're great hotels. They were probably st- have been stuck in an old-fashioned food program, and that has to do with how they buy food and how they manage their labor and how they, you know, just engineer the whole process for other reasons, for, for profit and for um, stability. And those are not the same reasons that I run a restaurant for. I'm not concerned about those things. I'm concerned about quality and about attendance. It has to be busy and full and full of life. And the products we buy have to be the best. And we have to do our best in cooking and serving them. But it, that's it. That They don't have anything to do with other things that, that typical hotel restaurants have to do with. Well, you have – and you have some um... – Marketing issues in Portland, like for instance, mm-hmm. I'm going to say one of the things that Vitaly Paley is really good at doing is being out there. And you always saw Benny out there when he was at Imperial yes. and Doug. Yes. And so there are certain chefs that do events, and yes. I go to a lot of them. Yeah. And there are certain chefs that don't. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I think that ties someone to the local food world yep. is that they're yep. touching, they're kissing babies. and. Yep. Handing Absolutely. you food. Do you do that? I, I haven't seen you out. I did it more than anybody for a long, long okay. time. <laughs> and we're we're connected more the, to the arts. If you ask anybody from the opera, ballet, symphony, white bird, I could go on and on and on. Who is the who gives the most to you in the nonprofit arts downtown community? Mm-hmm. It would it would be me. So I, it's more quiet. It's more between me and those organizations, but in terms of what we do for them, it's significant. And you have to, and, and that's good, because yeah. everybody, ha- you know, the world doesn't revolve around what I see. Yeah. But I just see things, and I've even said to, and I don't mean to keep bringing him up, but mm-hmm. to Vito a mm-hmm. few times, and at some point you got to chill out a little bit. You can't be doing this on a Saturday. You need to be with Kimberly. Well, it's also, I mean, if it's the public relations firm that you retain and have on retainer and what they in front of you to do mm-hmm. we, we'd like to see you at this event we've talked to this event and i mean i was on that treadmill for a long time for for decades and so i'm also older than most people who are chef re- restaurateurs in this town i'm definitely a lot older than most of them so i've been on this run for a long time so i do the things quietly um we do a ton of, of events that are non-profit oriented that are for 
causes. As I say, you do yeah. a lot for hunger. Yes, um, and, and we just did one for the, for the Chinese classical garden. We're very involved with them. Yeah, so we, we do a lot and of And those stuff. are personal things. Those aren't things that your publicists are, no. those are things you want to be involved no. in. No, yeah. They, we, we do a lot of out-of-house events, but they're for other reasons um, than um, publicity as a result of them. Not that that's, I mean, I think uh, marketing and that method is the best way for a restaurant to get the word out about who they are. But I've been doing it for so long that it's, I am home on a Saturday night with by the way. And I think that at, <laughs> at your age, and I'm not yeah. going to identify it, but knowing that you're, uh, that's what, that's what the, the goal sixth, is. It's in the sixth decade. Yeah, the sixth decade. Yeah. Um, but that's what your goal yeah, is. Yeah, And how long, and when did you finally accomplish that? You know, I, those kind of things only have come in the last four or five years. It's, it's funny, everything remains the same. Like the, the, when I had a job, it was a certain level. And then when I had the small restaurants, it was a certain level. And then even with the bigger ones, it's only recently has it is it kind of reached a, like oh this is this is getting to be pretty good, but it took a long long time. And things then then things can change though too. You don't you don't necessarily know that in 2019 ours is the most uh, delicate of businesses. There was there was a there was a snowstorm in Portland uh, years and years ago. It was when Vindaloo was maybe three years old, and in the restaurants on the east side closed for about four or five days. And I ran out of money. And, and then when all the food bills and all the payroll came, I had to go back into my house and I had to take a loan out. And those days when it was snowing and the restaurants were empty and the streets were empty and the money was running out, they, you, have, you have to go through those periods it, to be in the restaurant business to appreciate how uh, delicate the situation can be and how quickly things can change. So you never rest on your laurels. You never, never do. So um, I read yes. that uh, in your first restaurant in San Francisco, mm -hmm. six months, and you vowed to never fail again. That was uh, Bottom of the Hill. It's a rock and roll club on Paterno. It was, it was aptly named, right? Yep. Bottom of the Bottom Hill. Of the you hill. failed in six months. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say we failed. I'd say we, we pulled the plug. We just said, well, there's no, there's no future in this. I mean, this is, this is just... Get it, go down there, work all day, do like 30 lunches, and then go, wow. Um, but aren't there a lot of people doing that still today in this city? They're not, you better believe they're not it. making a lot of money. They're, <laughs> no. they're doing it for their passion. And I hear this a lot. I yeah. just had a discussion uh, not last night, the night before, with someone that they're doing it because that's what they want to do. Well, when we did that, we also went to work at night in restaurants, my wife and I. So we went down there early in the morning. We Current wife? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So this the, is after the divorce. Thirty-one years. Okay, good, yeah, good for you. Years. Yes. No, it, we we had jobs too besides doing that. Yeah. So what what did you learn there that you then applied later on when you came to Portland and you saw some success? I mean, you know, your, I was your a very I was very idealistic. Incredible. I was I was super idealistic in that. I can tell you what I learned. I don't I don't do restaurants or food anymore for things that I want to do. In other words, when I did Bottom of the Hill, I had all these ideas about food and recipes and cuisines and plate presentations, and I was very dogmatic and very, you know, I'm going to do my thing. Maybe people like that. Maybe they don't. So uh, over time, I, I tried to do what I think 
people were interested in eating and what, why they wanted to leave their house. What was the compelling reason for coming in? Well, that's a pretty good criteria. I think that's, in ultimately, over time, one of the strongest criteria. There are people who have followed their peculiar artistic vision, and it's resonated with the press and with the population, and it's worked. There's not a lot of those. There, there are more people. I like the Danny Meyer philosophy in New York, value, hospitality, you know, uh, cleanliness, you know, truth, those kind of things. I think those are enduring qualities that have you come back to a restaurant. Did you have an artistic bent at a, as a child that led you to want to uh, display that as a chef? I'm a musician. I play guitar, and and uh, I've been playing the guitar since I was nine years old. So music, jazz, and music, and, and, has, and rock has been a big part of my life. What were some of your first concerts? Oh, my first concerts were, uh, I can tell you what they were. Um, first one was Chicago in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. uh, then I went through a bunch of them, Dead, Pink Floyd. Uh, Did you ever go see anybody in Hartford, given that you were? I never went. To, I only went to Boston Garden and the Providence Civic Center. Those. So we probably saw shows, right, you know, the day after each other. Yeah, because they yeah. were coming through New York and Hartford. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing... What Frampton in 1975 at the at the Colt Stadium in Hartford? You probably saw him the day after uh, with Gary Wright. I was gone by '73, so oh okay. I was doing uh, uh, like Yes and Pink and uh, King Crimson and shows like that at the Beacon Theater, and I was yeah in the college circuit, Mob Houston Orchestra and Chick Career. And San Francisco had a pretty awesome had a, music scene music when you scene, got out there. Santana, Herbie Hancock, all of those, yeah. Music, music's been as almost as big a part of my life as as cooking and cuisine have been. Yes, is it still? Totally. So totally. how how does that manifest a, itself now? Uh, I got a I got a studio in my basement and it's all rigged up and we have my kids, my two sons are musicians and my friends play. My bass player friends and guitar player friends and we decide on what we're going to do and then we pass the music around, get to learn the tunes and come in and play them. So how often is that? Court, you need to get them in the Kings. You need to there you go, in, down in the, the Skype Live studio. Skype yeah. live we studio. like to do that pretty frequently. Pretty frequently, yeah. Would you play the Skype Live studio? Uh, if I get a if I get a time and a date, yeah. <laughs> that would be a good I, show, I, I right? Know, I, mean, I know some people. Yeah. Right. You could actually start it at Nel Centro. Yeah. And just Move it down down down. play while you're... There we go. I think that would be a good idea. So yeah, I think there's a, co a connection between music and, and cuisine. I think there... You could look at a lot of people in the food business that have a musical. Sound. Oh, I don't know any chefs that don't aren't yeah. playing to loud music or yeah. aren't prepping to loud music. Every anytime I've run into a restaurant when customers mm -hmm. aren't there, it's mm -hmm. loud. Yeah, no, I think music is. I don't know what the connection is in terms of the brain, but I, I, I for me, it's a pretty strong connection. Well, I'm going to guess. I'm going to go out on a limb. Two pleasurable <laughs> things. I would, I music would, and and uh, eating, and I then you throw sex in there too. I those those all work together right Pleasure. i would imagine i would agree that's when i the first time i went to um well they didn't mention food actually now that i think of it i went to amsterdam okay. and i would ask people what brought you here yeah and and i think from three or four people that i randomly asked and by the way i didn't do surveys mm -hmm. of hundreds mm -hmm. they would say sex drugs and rock and roll man yeah so but where's the food there the i guess food, that was the, the food's a little challenging in amsterdam they haven't figured it out they in amsterdam yet. Out. <laughs> that, they'll get there Eventually. It's on its way. I just right. have some good meals there. It's getting a little better. Yeah, a little better. Have you been? So you yeah, like, I, I like to go to Amsterdam. So I, 
given we we mentioned the vice president of yeah. restaurants, yeah, and given today is what it is. If yeah. you were president of restaurants yes. in the USA, <laughs> if there was that title, like yes. you got the the cabinet, I think yeah. we, we I think we call them czars now. Yeah, just czar. Okay, sounds threatening. The yet restaurant exotic. czar. Yeah. What would you What would you mandate? What would be some of the policies that you would institute that every restaurant would have to adhere to, and that customers would have to adhere to? Oh boy, that's that's customers. Tough. That's that customers have to adhere. Well, we got we got plenty of those. All right, you have I to mean, write the, we're, the 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 current uh, state of affairs in restaurants, from the customer to the restaurant, because of social media, is overwhelming. I mean, what's coming into a re- I don't know how many people self self-disclose this but what's coming into a restaurant on a daily basis the old days it was a letter a printed letter in an envelope and it was a phone call but today it's it's you know you see it on yelp i mean it's coming in i mean yelp is just a small part of it. it's coming in everywhere facebook has the rating system facebook has google, google. has it yeah. and now they're they're encouraging in the last month or two sure. facebook is doing everything they can to get a rating for everything Every, yeah. everything and it's so annoying mm-hmm. i turn i figured out how to turn it off well when you make a reservation if you use any of the like open table or any service when you get home they're going to tell you to rate so the the input what's coming at you as an owner or manager or chef however you want to phrase it uh, that amount of data, that amount of feedback is at a, in an, an all-time high. You almost can't even manage it. Right. It's so big. And some of it is, a lot of it's great. A lot of it's, we, we, we had a wonderful time. But some of it's insane. Some of it's, like, doesn't make sense and is some kind of crazy axe to grind about different things. And um, So I would like, uh, I like there to be less opportunity to give. I mean, if I go to a restaurant and I didn't enjoy the experience, I tend not to go back. And that's probably the end of that situation. Mm-hmm. And just say, oh, I, I ate there. It was okay, but I never went back. Have that's you, it. Have you ever? No, I've never uh, I've never written to a restaurant or called a you restaurant. You haven't? Okay. Never. I have. I've seen something glaring enough that I think that the owner yeah. should want to know about it. Yeah. Um, but so you haven't done that. That's never. interesting. And never. how do you react when you get const- really good constructive criticism? Because it's probably hard to well, having, filter it all. Having been a, a vice president. Never, of, never of making it to, to uh, czar. Yeah, uh, but you you're know, the deciding vote in the Senate if you're the vice president. Yes, we we always respond professionally. You can, you have to respond. You have to call or write back, and you have to listen empathetically, and you have to try to. And we tend to investigate. We try to figure out what time it happened, and who was the server, and where were they sitting, and what was their order. We go back and find the order. So we but, look at it. Yeah, that's important. But you're more interested, I would imagine, in overall. Feedback. Now you've had your restaurants for a few years. Yeah, you've had time to tweak them. Had yes. time to get. So at some point, you just keep doing what you're doing, and then deal with those well, individual issues. I would imagine. I think you know. There was an article in the New York Times last week, and it was um, it was about a restaurant tour there who owns Balthazar and a, a bunch of other you know influential restaurants, and he said. He was going to open a new restaurant, and he's like 64 years old. And so the writer said, why? And he said, people open new restaurants because they want to fix the mistake of their earlier restaurants. And it was like that was a revelation. It's like there's the reason. I mean, I never fully had that articulated for me, but you open a restaurant to try to fix all the things that you didn't do right on those other restaurants. And do you think it's too late to fix those in the other? Not, not no. you. Oh. Is it, if, if things have gone wrong in a restaurant, it's hard to retool. It's better to just open up a new one? 
Oh, you should see the face on him right now. Fixing restaurants that are struggling? Yeah. Uh, boy, that's a really hard thing to do. That's a hard thing. I can't think of anything harder than that. Maybe remarrying a, a wife that you had years ago or something. I, I don't I don't know you can do that. Yeah, where you just painted that picture for me. I guess yeah. it's really tough. <laughs> I think that's why I don't I don't know if you ever watched these, but it's the whole reality uh, TV show. You've yeah. got, uh, what is it, Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, I've seen in. those, sure. Hell's Kitchen. No, yeah. not Hell's Kitchen, but no. the one where he goes in, yeah. Kitchen Nightmares, where he goes in to try to fix yeah. a failing restaurant. Yes. And it always seems to me like he kind of fixed something, but it, at the end of the day, I think that thing probably shut down six weeks yeah. after this thing aired. I think, I think restaurants that don't make it, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. There was the wrong location. They were undercapitalized. The menu didn't have a, didn't resonate. It just didn't pop. You know, it didn't, didn't grab you. But I think one of the mistakes people make is they look at the business from the back out rather than the front in. So if you're looking at it from the engine of the kitchen, the walk-in, the, the prep, the, all the food, and you're never looking at it from the front door in, like I came through the front door to dine, and, I'm, and I had a reservation, and I like this table. All those emotional human needs that are coming at you, if you don't look at those and, and deal with them, you're always looking at, well, I bought from this farmer, or I got this pig, or I did this dish. And it's, it, the two have to be balanced. You have to look at the emotional human needs that are coming at you. Let me ask you this, since you, you've copped to your age, which, you know, I'm getting there. <laughs> I just said the decade. <laughs> no, I know. But let yeah. me ask you this, because you're talking about the overall experience. Yeah, the and, overall And experience. Gary the food and I, Foodie and I have this yeah. argument, all, not argument, just discussion. Mm-hmm. For me, the food is, you know, I, I like to like the food. But what's this, the engagement? This, like I went to uh, Deadshot. A few nights ago yeah. at, at Holdfast, so you get to talk to the chef. There are some cool people there yeah. you can talk to. There's that. that there's another issue that I just think is, I, maybe it's because my butt is getting bonier <laughs> as I get older, but the comfort of the seats. Yeah. Um, and too many, I think, a lot of places overlook that. I don't know if it's an issue or not. I don't know if it's just my issue, but I really like when I walk in and a place is comfortable. Comfortable. Well, the, I think the number one complaint that any restaurant gets is, today's sound the, mm-hmm. the general the general din of the of of what's audible in the room a uh, perfect restaurant gives you energy and a buzz and lets you talk uh, a difficult restaurant is the energy and buzz overwhelms the table and you can't actually speak you know nobody really knows how that's going to be until the restaurant's built mm-hmm. the furniture's in and everybody's in place all the human beings are in place it People say, well, I got an engineer to do a study. He's like, you don't know until you open the restaurant. And it's too, it, you don't have enough time if you do a friends and family thing a week you, before you actually open. You can retrofit, you can make some adjustments, and, and, I, and good restaurants typically do come in and do that. But I, I would definitely say the number one complaint is sound because you also have an aging boomer population that's moving through, spending the most money right now in restaurants is being in that 55 to 65 group, they're spending the most money. No matter what you say about who's going out and the demographics and the age, who's actually leaving the most money is that age group. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, and I and I think sound is an issue. It's a big issue. I, I will leave it nameless because I don't think it's fair. They just opened, but um, or, or they had just opened at the time, but there was one restaurant that it was, I spent the entire night uh, just nodding 
I didn't hear a thing. Yeah. Just, uh, the food came into which, play. Which in can a be good, way. yeah. Yeah, but then you feel like a real, after a while, it's like. You I just really agreed would've... to something you probably shouldn't exactly. have. Exactly. And just nodding like a <laughs> like a bobblehead doll. Yeah. You stupid. know what, what really, uh, I mean, ultimately attracts me to restaurants uh, are the ones that become institutions. In other words, they're in for 20 or 30 years. What, did they have the best food? No. Did they have the best of anything? No. But they had a lot of things really good. They had favorite dishes, friendly service. The place was always clean. Things were done on time. And so those, the aggregate of those qualities to me, in the end, is probably where I'd rather go to have dinner. So, and that leads us to where in Portland would you, would you cite as restaurants that have accomplished that? i give you a good one that just closed and moved was a Veritable Quandary. Mm. Had very good food. Totally underestimated in the media, never got in anything, never was recognized for anything. Full every night, full every lunch, high quality on the plate, ample portions, good prices, and just doing their thing. I mean, that's that's a, that's an example of that kind of place to me. And I wonder how it's going to do as Q. Well, we can hope that it does well again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's It did a lot of things right, but it, it wasn't a... You know, Portland's kind of broken into a, a foodie, cool kid, media things, and then the not. And so you can participate in one or not. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it, who knows? Who knows why that is? It, and it's tough because everybody's looking at the new. It's just, it's like Disneyland, and Every, there's something new all the time. And you get excited. Right. And I personally feel that the restaurants that have been around for a while are the ones that have stood the test of time and they need to be, get more recognition. And I've tried. Yeah. Sometimes I can succeed in saying, oh, good, we did highlight this restaurant. Yeah. And other times it's just like there's too much noise out there. So we're sold out for an event. We have a park kitchen on Wednesday yeah. night. Yeah. You know, S- Scott and yeah. everybody who's been through there and David have mm-hmm. done wonderful jobs uh, and they deserve it. But it's hard for them to get. It's hard. It's it. Keeping a restaurant open for years, let's say if you can get to 10 years, hard. Get to 20, almost impossible. Get to 30, almost you don't see it that much. It's it's really, really difficult to do. So do you think that in and, and 2000, what, have you done the calculation on the years, 2030-something? I have. My leases are 20 years long. So are they really? Yeah. When you get hotel leases, you take them for longer than a restaurant lease because it's they're valuable. Do you ever feel you're competing with other hotel restaurants? For instance, Headwaters now opening. Oh, de- well, how do you think that's going to do? Uh, well, we're in a microclimate, so I share at Nel Centro customers. It's the same group of customers I share them with uh, Higgins. I share them with the Heathman, or now Headwaters, with VQ um, and Raven and Rose. There's a in South Park, so there, you can draw a circle. And that group of restaurants shares the same customers. They just dine at different places for different reasons. That's interesting. And you had something to do with South Park, did you not? Yeah, I, that was my idea and opened it up. Oh, that's and, something to do with it, slightly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the menu and the, the name, I named it, and the decor. And All right, so that's yeah. one of those that I just never comes to, it never comes to mind for me. It's been a very successful restaurant for... Well, I know that. Years. So I, whenever anybody says South Park, I, oh, oh, right. And I've been there maybe two times yeah. in all my years. Yeah. Here. It's so that's that's one that's not in the set of the set that we gets a lot of publicity. But you got to look at successful restaurants. You got to look at them over a period of time, whether they're full or not. And mm-hmm. that's to me, yeah, that's, a good that's it. I mean, you can say, well, he wrote this or she said that or they did this. But are they full or not? 
that's it. It's so my I believe that a restaurant like South Park isn't in the uh, Instagram world as much because they're not out doing events. So when you add that to the mix and you get all the the food people that can meet a chef mm-hmm. and get and touch them and get to know them their personality. They're more apt, I think, to go in that restaurant and then throw it out on social media. Just my take. But yeah. you're right because South Park is it's full. It's full it's, and does 150 lunches and 200 dinners. Right. I mean, they, they if they could, I guess they could do those activities. But you know, so it's yeah, it's it's an interesting time. But you, but we're talking from the perspectives you were talking about yeah. from inside the restaurant and mine outside. Not only mine is not even walking in. I'm talking about from. You know, far outside, reading Eater and the media. Who's yeah. in there? I mean, you might you might be a regular at South Park for several reasons. Because Will, who is behind the bar, has a tremendous wine knowledge. Or you have tickets for a show at the Schnitz, and you feel that South Park is the most dependable restaurant to get you to your seat in time. It might be for those two reasons. It might be completely different than other reasons. And there are many reasons why people dine out and choose to be a regular at a certain restaurant than not another. So, speaking of which, great segue. Yes. What are some reasons that people should go try your restaurants, your two restaurants now? And by the way, I wasn't really familiar with your bakery when I went to Citizen I went to Baker. Altabira, yeah. Um, the other last week. Yeah. For lunch, and I loved it. I had the brat. Yes. For lunch. That yes. Was fantastic. Th- thank you. Yeah, I mean Citizen Baker. We're it's a fantastic bakery. It's killing it. We make everything there. Everything, um, and I think there was some some article recently. Ten bakeries or new bakeries in Portland. They, were, they weren't in there because who knows why. Uh, but as far as what we're doing, the fundamentals uh, of baking bread, uh, pastries, etc., we're I think we're spot on. Um, what's, your, what's your what's the one thing if someone goes in, you would tell them they have to get uh, the the breakfast sandwich. That's it's it's killer, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know the the thing we do to, to try <laughs> to try to combat it's a, it's a restaurant and a hotel is we make everything. So in El Centro, we make everything. If we if we have pasta, we make the pasta. If we have sausage, we make the sausage. We just make everything. We make everything in Altabira. We either cure it or smoke it. So we do the crafty kind of uh, foodie things, but we're doing it in a, in a big restaurant environment. So people go, oh, I think. Maybe that's in the smaller restaurants they do that. The chef's back there. It's like, no, we do it too. Um, the proposition come into my restaurants, uh, definitely value, definitely quality. And the most important thing to me is friendliness, is to treat you, to make eye contact with you and treat you as a human being and to have empathy for you arriving, saying, you chose to eat with us. So now we're have a nice time. We'll have a good time. And I'll be respectful of your time and I'll help you to try to order the right things and have a nice time. I mean, that's it. They're... And that's a great goal, and it should be. I think every restaurateur's goal is it, is it yeah. tough to accomplish because you got a shortage of talent. Here. It is tough to accomplish. I mean, we didn't really, we haven't touched on that in our discussion yet, but the, the, the labor, the labor th- situation, front and back, the amount of people, you know, when you asked me earlier about San Francisco and the California Culinary Academy in that particular time, the, the industry was booming. And people were flooding and they were changing careers. They were, they were leaving being an attorney or an executive to become a chef. We're, we're not in that situation now. We're, 
it is very difficult to get people to answer ads, to show up for interviews. It's also difficult for them to show up to work and to, and to complete a, a shift because I think people are a little bit shocked about how difficult it is. We're still essentially doing the same things that a restaurant did in Europe 100 years ago. The, the, the structure and the work is the same. It hasn't changed. That's not the case in very many industries. I mean, we're not still going into textile factories, you know, making, right. making clothes. We're not doing it. The culture doesn't have those things left in it. The society, they're gone. They're still that way in the restaurant business. Especially yeah. if you want them to be good, they have to be done that way. You can't automate. And it's, Once you automate, yeah, you're into you're, and uh, a different ballgame. It's, it's shocking for a young person to actually see the pace and the demands of a professional kitchen. Forget the romance. Forget the sexiness. When they actually see the work and the work day and what is required, it's really challenging. So, Well, I would love to have you back to continue that discussion. And one thing, Court, we're learning as we do this. You know, we had Greg Higgins mm -hmm. in here, and I had never met either of yeah. you beforehand. You guys that have been around, mm -hmm. have a, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. They, they have so much experience and so many different ways a conversation can go. And this happened to wend its way in a certain direction, yeah. but I'd love to have you back to talk about that and some. Hopefully, we don't sound dated or smug or, or any of those things. What do you think, Court? No, I'm, you're the younger no. end of this. You're you're here to keep this keep this uh, keep this hope alive. No, but younger end. Uh, for for me, the perspective <laughs> is awesome, just because you talk about restaurants that have been around yeah. for this long. I mean, there aren't a lot. There's not, and so the you know that that's where the experience is. So. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's been a pleasure meeting you guys and doing this. I, I didn't know what to expect, and it's it's been cool. All, you know, I didn't really either, except that, you know, I heard about you, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I, it's always a pleasure when someone comes in that you, you don't know. Yeah, and yeah. then the conversation goes well, and I hope everybody, been, I think everybody out there yeah, will have enjoyed this. It's been natural. We'll do it again. All right. Thank you. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Yeah.